Well, at the moment in the church in Port Erin, we're in dispute with Barclays Bank. I don't need to go into all the whys wherefores of the dispute, but we're in dispute with Barclays Bank. And someone observed, it's the little man versus the giant. It's a bit like David and Goliath, they said. Well, I'd like to speak to you about David and Goliath tonight. And I'd like to make it very clear that the little man versus the big man is not the main application and purpose of that passage. The main application and purpose of that passage is to show us the conflict between Satan and Christ. Satan is represented by Goliath and Christ is represented by David. And the people of Israel, of course, are represented, representing the church. So we're going to look at it under that guise, not under the guise of the little man against the big bureaucracy of Barclays Bank or whoever it may be, but as a picture of the conflict in the spiritual realm between Satan and Christ. And the purpose of that is for your encouragement and mine too. We'll start with a little bit of background, although I half wonder whether it was needed to do this, because David and Goliath is such a well-known event in the Old Testament that probably you all know the detail inside out. But just very, very briefly, the background. The enemy of the Israelites, of course, were the Philistines. And 1 Samuel 17 reminds us that the Philistines had now come into Israeli territory. And the Israelite army and the Philistine army were facing each other across the valley of Elah. And every day, twice a day, the Philistines sent out a champion. His name was Goliath. He was over nine feet tall or three metres tall, if you want that. Uh, He was prodigiously um, protected with armour and offensive equipment. He had someone going before him holding his shield. He was a monster of a man. And he issued a challenge twice a day to the Israelites, send out someone to fight me. If I win, you'll be my servants. If he wins, we the Philistines will be your servants. And the army of the Israelites was scared witless. Chapter 17, verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dis- Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. At that moment arrives David. David's three eldest brothers were at the front as part of the army and Jesse, David's father, had sent him with some food and messages to the front to his brothers. And he arrives just at the time that the Philistine was giving his daily challenge, or one of them, verse 23 of chapter 17. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake. And David was incensed that this uncircumcised Philistine, as he calls him, dared to defy the armies of the living God. And he says he will fight him. And so he's taken to Saul and Saul gives him his armour, which he can't use because it's too big for him. And he then goes out to meet the Philistine armed with his sling and these five stones. And of course, you know what happened. The first stone hit the Philistine squarely in the forehead. He fell down and David then finished him off with the Philistine's own sword. And at that point, the Israelite army charged the Philistines and drove them back as far as Ekron and Gath, their two principal cities. 
So that's very briefly the background. But I firmly believe this passage is a picture of the conflict between Satan and Christ. And I think Goliath is a very good picture of Satan. Goliath's attitude to God and the things of God was one of utter despising. Look at what he says in chapter 17, verse 10. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. And if you follow the passage through, on a number of occasions, you'll find references to his despising of the armies of Israel. Now, if you're despising the armies of Israel, who are you actually despising? You're actually despising Almighty God, because the armies of Israel are God's army. He is the commander in chief of his army to despise The army is to despise the general, if I can put it like that, the commander of the army, who is Almighty God. This Philistine was despising Almighty God. And isn't that a picture of Satan? Isn't that what Satan does? Doesn't Satan hate everything concerning God and the things of God, and especially the church of the living God? And doesn't Satan do all he possibly can to destroy, to undermine, to attack the church of the living God? We know from the New Testament that he does. The New Testament describes him in various ways. Sometimes Paul says, for example, he comes into the church like a like a, a lamb in sheep's... No, I got it the wrong way around. I knew I'd do this. I always get this one muddled up. He comes into the church like a lion in sheep's clothing. Now, I see I've still got it the wrong way around, haven't I? Thank you. A wolf in sheep's clothing. And sometimes he comes into the church in various other guises like that. Sometimes he appears as an angel of light. Sometimes he appears to be the right and the proper and the nice thing that you want, only to find, of course, that he's spreading heresy. The devil hates the church. The devil will do everything he can to undermine the church. And that's a picture of what Satan is trying to do here and now in the church, which Goliath was trying to do in a literal sense there in 1 Samuel 17 to the Israelites. And I think we can be quite sure that there is a similarity there between the two. So if Satan is a picture, or if Goliath is a picture of Satan, then we can say that David is also a picture of Christ. You'll know that anyway. Obviously, David was an ancestor of Jesus. The very first verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, says just that. But if you follow Old Testament verses through, on a number of occasions, Jesus is pictured as David. I can only read you a couple just for the sake of time. Try Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 9. Jeremiah 30, verse 9. Remember, Jeremiah is writing many years after David has long since departed this earth. Jeremiah 30, verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Who is David their king who's going to be raised up? It is Jesus Christ. You can find similar verses on a number of occasions in Ezekiel. Again, I'll just read one for the sake of time. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Ezekiel 34, 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. 
And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince amongst them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Who's he speaking of there? He's not speaking literally of of David. David, again, has been dead many centuries by the time those prophecies were given in Ezekiel. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is without doubt a picture, or I shall put it the other way around. David is without doubt a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil, just as David went out onto the battlefield to destroy the works of Goliath. You might wonder, if I asked the question, why did Jesus come into the world, why I would ask that. You might say, well, it's very obvious why he came into the world. It was to save sinners. Well, of course, that is true. But actually, John puts it like this. And this is very relevant for what we're saying tonight. 1 John 3, verse 8. 1 John 3, verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Christ came into this world to destroy the works of the devil. David saw this Philistine defying the living God and he was not going to have that and so he went into battle. The Lord Jesus Christ was not going to have Satan victorious and so he came into this world to destroy the works of the devil. And in destroying the works of the devil, of course, he had to go to the cross. We're told in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. To which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister of them who shall be heirs of salvation? You see, Christ's angels have come to minister the work of salvation, which Christ has accomplished. And Christ accomplished that work of salvation, as chapter 2 says, I think I said chapter 2 then, I meant chapter 1. As chapter 2 says, he has come by laying down his life on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ destroyed the power of the devil by doing that. Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power over death, that is the devil. And the same is said in Colossians 2, if you want another uh, illustration. So whilst Goliath represents Satan, and the aim of Goliath was to defy the armies of the living God and smash them, so David represents Christ, And David seeks to destroy the power of Goliath as Christ will come into the world some centuries after David to destroy the power of Satan. And now Jesus has done that because Jesus has died on the cross. Satan is defeated. And here is where we begin to get the encouragement. The Israelite army were very encouraged while they saw the victory that David had over Goliath. And we'll come back to them in a minute. But we ought to be very encouraged as we think of the victory that Christ has wrought over Satan through his dying on the cross. Now, you might say, how could Jesus' death on the cross possibly be a victory? Death is something negative. It's not something positive. How could that possibly be regarded as a victory over the devil? Well, the answer to that is very simple. In order to defeat the devil, 
Christ ensured that the plan of God in salvation would be accomplished. God's plan was that he would save a people. And that salvation would demonstrate to the whole cosmos the grace, the mercy, the love and the kindness of God in saving unmerited sinners. And by Christ doing that, the devil's desire to keep control, to keep people under his sway, was broken. Because in his death, Jesus took all the people who would believe in Jesus, all that huge multitude of people, the number which no one can number, we're told, he took them out of the camp of Satan. Satan was defeated. Satan failed. And Jesus rose again from the dead to prove that that had been done. So you as a Christian and I as a Christian are on the side of victory. Just as the Israelite army was on the side of victory once David had slain Goliath, so you and I are on the side of victory now because Christ has died for the sins of his people and has risen for their justification. And that is an extremely encouraging thought. Which leads me to the third point, which is the point I really want to focus on most now. And that is the armies of the Israelites picture the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, by the way, as a matter of interest, the New Testament calls the church Israel. In Galatians 6.16, for example, Paul talks about spiritual Israel, referring to the church. So the army of the Israelites is a picture of the church of the living God. Now let's go back to the beginning of what was happening here. If you go back in to 1 Samuel chapter 17, I read it earlier on, the Israelites were scared. They wouldn't come out and fight. They were absolutely terrified. And later on in 1 Samuel 17, the same thought is given. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, that's Goliath, fled from him and were sore afraid. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't a true picture of what happens in churches too. Sometimes I wonder if we are not sore afraid, to use the language of the AV, because of the forces that are arrayed against us. In the modern world, and I suppose it's been true down through all ages of history, if you read the book of Revelation it would suggest that, if you seem to think about it, the church is the object of the scorn and derision of human beings. Governments persecute the church. They pass laws to undermine the freedoms of the church. They put Christians to death. And that's happened down through all ages and it's still happening today. And in the Isle of Man, although that's not the truth, we don't get put to death for our faith. We do get mocked and despised. We had one of our stalls down on the prom a couple of weeks ago and we had further opposition from stallholders saying we'd no right to be there, that we were putting off their customers because we were giving out Christian literature. You see, you get this sort of constant opposition, constant negativity from society, from governments. You only have to read Evangelical Times or Evangelicals Now to read the number of cases that there are these days where Christians are up in court for apparently uh, upsetting this person's rights or that person's rights and so on. And the concept, the con- consequence of all of that is that we very often begin to be a bit like the, fillers, uh, the Israelites were faced with Goliath. We begin to become a bit dismayed and afraid. And if we're not careful, we can, as it were, hunker down and draw the drawbridge up and just have a nice holy huddle of ourselves in here, as it were, but we don't want to go out there because of the opposition that we're going to get. A bit like the Israelites weren't going to go out and fight because they were scared of Goliath. 
Now, I'm not saying that's true of this church. I'm not saying it's true of the church in Port Erin. But it is true. It does happen in churches that they become so overburdened, really, by the forces that are against them and the smallness of their size that they do close in. And they do draw up the drawbridge and they do literally lock the door and they don't go out into the community because they're afraid. But they've forgotten this truth. Goliath was beaten by David. The world and Satan have been beaten by Christ. Christ has secured the victory. Okay, there are still battles to be fought, but the victory is secured. The war is won. Between now and Christ coming again, there may be many battles, but the war is won. The victory is certain. Christ has died and risen again. We are on the side of victory. The devil is still active, but only for a time, and his fate is sealed in Revelation 20, verse 10. He will be, at the end of time, thrown into the lake of fire, and we are on the side of victory. And that surely ought to give us a great encouragement, then, to actually go out and seek to make the gospel known in the community, and go out and seek to spread the good news of Christ, because we are on the side of victory. I'm not saying it will be easy. I'm not saying there won't be problems, there won't be opposition, but we are on the side of victory. The Lord's purposes will be fulfilled. We don't know how many people God has chosen to save in this present age. Perhaps we're in a day of small things, but that doesn't alter the fact that we're still on the side of victory. Nothing will stop the purposes of God being fulfilled because Christ has died and risen again. The power of the devil is destroyed and he knows it. And that's very often why he's so active at the moment, because he does know it. He knows his time is short. He knows the days are getting closer and closer and closer to that lake of fire. But we're on the side of victory. And I think that's a lesson of great encouragement to any church. We're small here. You're small church. We're a small church in Port Erin. If we put our two churches together, we still wouldn't be very big, would we? We might manage 60, 70 people, but not much more. By the world standards, we're very small. But that doesn't alter the fact that we're on the side of victory because Christ has succeeded in defeating Satan. Do not be negative. Do not be defeatist. Do not be downcast. Christ has won the victory. You as a believer are on his side. He is your Lord. He will take you forward. He will guard you, protect you and watch over you in the battle. You may lose some battles, yes. But the war is won. Winston Churchill, I gather, used to often say that. He used to say the end of the Second World War is a certain victory. Definitely victory. But between now and then, he said, there may be very hard battles and very many problems and difficulties to be faced. And that's an illustration of just what I'm trying to say spiritually. Victory is secured in Christ. We can go forward with confidence. But there is something else. This sermon's got four points, so you can obviously tell it's rubbish because it's got four points and not three. The fourth point is David was prepared for all of this. David was prepared for all of this. We've looked at the background. We've seen that Goliath is a picture of Satan. And we've seen that Jesus is pictured by David. And we've seen now that the church is pictured uh, by the people of Israel. But the final thing to say is David was prepared for all this. Because if you look at verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17, you'll see that. 
And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered him out of its mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing that he hath defied the armies of the living God. David was prepared by being a shepherd boy for what was to come in his victory over Goliath. And the Lord prepared, in that sense, us for what is to come in our service of him. What we're doing now is preparation for what we will have to do in the future in his service. And that's why we should never despise the situation God has placed us in now. He placed God, David as a shepherd boy so that he could fight bears and wolves and so on and learn the strength of battle, ready for fighting Goliath. David was prepared like that. And we are being prepared. If we're older, as most of us in the room are now, he is preparing us for what comes next, glory. He is preparing us by giving us that fellowship with him here and now in a church where the gospel is preached faithfully, ready to prepare our souls for heaven. If you're younger, whatever situation you're in, God is preparing you now for what will come later in your life, whatever it may be. David was prepared. And David was prepared too by the fact he had a phenomenal faith. Look at verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He had a tremendous faith. Why did he have a faith? Because God had, he'd proved God during his life to that point. He had experiences with the Lord which had proved that God could be relied upon and depended upon. And he knew that as he went to fight this uncircumcised Philistine, that the Lord would be with him and help him. And he knew that the battle was the Lord's. He actually says that, verse 47, halfway through. The battle is the Lord's. And he makes it clear that he's relying upon the Lord. As we go out to fight against the world, and it's an opposition to the gospel, we go out in faith too. The Lord has given us that gift of faith. We need to nurture that gift of faith. We need to strengthen that gift of faith. And he tells us how we do it. It's through the Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. The four means of grace. If you want to be strengthened in your fight against Satan and the agents of Satan in this world, give yourself to those things. David was prepared and David was ready because of his faith to do this. And David's reliance totally was on the Lord, wasn't it? As verse 47 says. And our reliance must be on the Lord too. We are weak. But as he says, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, where we are weak, his strength is made perfect. There isn't much you and I can do. We're a pretty motley crew, pretty old and past, pardon those who are younger, pretty old and past it, most of us. But what doesn't matter, because the strength of the Lord is the way we're going, not the strength of man. We're not relying on ourselves as we go to do battle in this battle that is against Satan. We're relying on the strength of the Lord. And one other thing, though, just one other point about David being prepared. David was prepared, too, by the fact that he did not give in to negativity. In verse 28, his eldest brother, Eliab, tried to pour cold water on the idea of David going and fighting Goliath. 
Eliab, his eldest brother, heard him when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou down hither? And so on. He wasn't going to be put off by negativity. Don't let us be put off by negativity. Sometimes in the church there can be negativity. People will say, oh, you know, don't do that. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It just, just sit and keep calm and keep quiet. I remember once, and this was a long time ago, so it's not relevant here at all, but I remember a long time ago someone once said to me, speaking of a church I was in in those days, you're punching above your weight. You're doing too much. Just calm down and draw, draw in a bit. We mustn't be giving in to negativity. We are on the side of victory. The battles are to be fought. Some of them will be lost, but the victory of the war is certain. So let's not be put off by others' negativity. And don't let us be negative either. Let us be positive, because we are on the side of victory. So there's a whole collection of rambling thoughts there. I've really enjoyed preparing this passage uh, I find it and a most incredibly encouraging passage of, I've studied in a long time. But I want you to keep, get hold of that too. We as a church are on the side of victory. Christ has defeated Satan. We are therefore to go out and do battle. We are being prepared for it by our existing situation. We have give, got faith. We rely on his strength in our weakness and we're never put off by negativity. So let's go out and make the gospel known and look to the Lord to save souls and build his church that we may glorify and honour him because the victory is his. Amen.